This is the Evangelical Church of Bermuda's weekly sermon podcast. Thank you for joining us. Here is this week's sermon. Morning, church. Let's pray together. Father, we just want to thank you for everybody that's able to be here, to be able to worship and serve you in your house. Father, also please go with those that are sick and shut in, that can't be here today. Please give them strength and healing, Father, you know you know best. Please give them as, as you think best. Um, Father, we also want to pray for our missionaries. Please help them spread your word wherever in the world they are. You know you know where the needs are, God, and you are growing your ground all the, all the time. Father, we also want to pray for the government. Um, please help them where they lead the lead the country in a gospel-based manner that, are, that we continue to be free and able to serve you in this country without fear for retribution. Please, please give them wisdom and strength to lead it in your way. Father, we also ask that you, you go with Pastor Jamico, where he's going to bring the message to you. Please help us to forget our problems and our d- daily, daily problems, that, that we concentrate on the message and we're able to go out of here and make the message part of our, our, our daily lives as we go into our, our week. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Ask, ask Bill to come and read scripture for us. Morning, church. The reading today is First Thess- Thessalonians chapter 4. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, Through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. 
For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Well, a new year is upon us, as I'm sure you were well aware of. Um, and as I mentioned last week, uh, as we enter into this new year, this is often a time where we make some changes, where we generally start some new rhythms, some new things. Maybe we'll start going to the gym more, at least for the first few weeks. Uh, or we'll start, you know, some healthy eating, whatever it is. We start generally at the beginning of the year. And it feels right, because it's at the beginning of the year, to start something new uh, as this new year rolls in. Well, to start off this first Sunday of 2024, I wanted to spend some time in the book of 1 Thessalonians. Um, and just so that we can kind of frame what's going on here so far in this book, uh, to give a little quick recap, um, just so that we know what we're talking about as we get to chapter 4, we have Paul and Silas here in this book so far. And Paul is the guy who wrote the book, and they've spent their, some time in the city of Thessalonica. And during their time here, they've shared the good news of Jesus, and they've seen many people come to know the Lord as a result of this spreading this good news. And the leaders of the land that they found themselves in didn't like this. And so they began to persecute these brand new Christians. And this resulted in Paul and Silas having to leave these new Christians and leave Thessalonica. And we see here that Paul is writing this letter now to this group of Christians because he's heard that they've not just done good despite this persecution, but they've actually, they are thriving. They flourished. We know that even those who might look that they've, like they have everything good on the outside still need to work on some things, and they still need encouragement. And so in the first three chapters of Thessalonians, we see Paul celebrating the faith of this group of Christians for their love for one another and their love for their, and their hope that they find in their new king, Jesus. And we see him celebrating this time that he was able to spend with them as he was with them in Thessalonica. And then about all the good things that he's heard of, about them from Timothy. And then he shares with them his desire that he wants to be right back there with them in the trenches. Because he genuinely loved these people. So that's what, what's happened so far in these first three chapters. And then when we get to chapter four, and we're going to park ourselves here this morning. And before we, we get into this chapter, I have a question for us. Have you ever stopped to take stock of your life? Maybe you've done that as we've entered into this new year. Or maybe you've hit a milestone in your life which caused you to pause and to look back over your years. Maybe something significant has happened in your life, something major that caused you to stop and to look back as, at how your life has gone and what you've done. Maybe what you've accomplished, things that you regret. But have you ever taken 
time to, to stop and look and take stock over your life. Remember, I, I was there just a couple of years ago when I was 25. Just a couple, okay. And I, I stopped when I was 25 to look at my life and the things that I wanted to do and the person that I wanted to be before I was 25. And I remember Bethany and I had a joke that I was going through my quarter of a life crisis. And I remember that as I was looking at this, I didn't feel like I had done or that I had accomplished all that I wanted to do by 25. It sounds kind of silly, doesn't it? But I remember a lot of the goals that I had set for myself, they really just revolved around my own happiness. The goals that I had set were things that I wanted to do and I want to tick off my bucket list before I was 25. And so as I share this silly revelation about my life, I do that because I think Paul, in our passage this morning, has a little something to talk about, about the motivations for why we do things, our motivations for living. And as we spent the first seven days in 2024, let us begin this new year by considering our motivations, how and why we do what we do. And to do our utmost to conform ourselves to the people that God desires each one of us to be. And let us consider this from what we read in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Because I believe that the Holy Spirit uses the Bible to reveal areas in our lives where we need to make a change. Where we might need to reevaluate how and why we do certain things. So let's jump right in to 1 Thessalonians 4, chapter, or 4 verses 1 to 2 which says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you're doing, that you do so more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Paul begins this passage again, so happy and grateful for the growth that has taken place in the life of the believers in Thessalonica. He wants them to grow more and more in their love. And he wants them to never forget all the things that they've been taught, what God has placed on their hearts. What he recognizes is, is that what they've been taught isn't just staying in their, in their heads or just in the confines of their fellowships. He's been told that this is how they are actually living and that those around them are seeing this. This is how they're doing their day-to-day -day lives, all while facing persecution in this city. And so this is such a great example for us. And I think it's so important to know that Christian maturity, what we should all be aiming for as believers and followers of Jesus, never finishes this side of eternity. I don't think we can ever get to the point where we can say, you know what, I've reached my peak level of Christianness. We all have room to grow, don't we? We all have errors in our lives where we need more Jesus and less of ourselves. Billy Graham says this, and I love this quote. Do you want to know what God's will for you is? It's for you to become more and more like Christ. This is spiritual maturity. And if you make this your goal, it will change your life. Paul reminds them not to forget what they've been taught. So I had to ask myself, how can a group of Christians who are in the midst of persecution make sure that they're not forgetting what they're taught, what they've been taught? Because I'd imagine it would be so easy when you're facing this 
to forget what you're doing and to get into that fight or flight mentality. I have to believe that it's because they're making time to spend with one another in the midst of all that's going on. They're reminding themselves of the promises, the hope, the gifts, all the things that they share in Jesus. And I know in my own life, this is what helps to keep me grounded, these things. When I find a group of people who I can come alongside with to read the Bible, to figure out what it means and how it should, should look in my life. This is why as a church we encourage so, so significantly Sunday school and life groups. Because we know that when we spend time together and we make that important for each one of us, that it will help us as we walk and navigate this life. To have people around us to help to point us in the direction of Jesus. In both the good times and when things get really tough. And it reminds them to live in a way that pleases God and not ourselves. And that's a hard lesson. Because everything that we're hit with in this world, all the messages that we, we get and we hear that's pumped into our brains, is that everything that we need to do has to make us happy. It's all about self-gratification. And the reason why that's a hard lesson is because deep down, we, have, we feel like we have this finite time here on this earth. And we want to make sure that we can do all that we want to do in the time that we have. And what we feel like is that these things need to make us happy. But I want to propose to you a different viewpoint than the world gives us. And I think this is the idea that the Thessalonians get. What if we spend time doing things that, make God, that makes God happy? What if we spend time trying to understand and learn about God? What if we spend time listening to him? What if we spend time making sure that others around us are taken care of? What if we spend time loving like Jesus loved? I've learned that when we do these sort of things, we're able to feel the happiness that really does last. Happiness that we're, we're not always trying to clamor for. I believe that our goals and desires in our life ought to revolve around what we know makes God happy. Because I believe that when we do that, it makes for a life that's more full, more enjoyable, more worthwhile. And that's what I think the Thessalonians got. That's why we see them continue to grow in spite of this persecution that they keep finding themselves in. As we move on in this chapter... In verses 3 to 8, it says this, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each, of, each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passions of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warn you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Paul here is addressing an issue that is taking place in this group of people. You see, the issue here is that the Thessalonians are bringing with them into, into their newfound Christianity some of the practices that were found in their old lives. More specifically, what they're bringing with them 
are parts of the first century Roman culture that was marked by sexual immorality. You see, during this time in the world, chastity and sexual purity were almost unknown values in this culture. Many things that we consider and know as wrong, like adultery or lusting after someone, they were okay in this culture. And so it was important for Paul to remind them that they were to take their standards of sexual morality from God and not to hold on to what they've learned from the culture around them. What he's calling for them is to do, is to work out this process of sanctification in their lives. And what I mean by that, this process of sanctification, is really to set themselves apart from the world around them. Paul hits the nail on the head in verse 7 when he says, For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Another translation says it this way. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. What he's telling them is that as Christians, they're to set themselves apart as holy. That's what God wants for them, to set themselves apart from a godless culture that's around them. And it's so important to clarify that what he's asking isn't to get themselves removed away from this culture. But what he's saying is you need to live in the culture in the way that's pleasing God. To be in this world, but not, not to be of the world. And he tells them that God is calling them to live in this way. And he's not just telling them to, to do this, but he's given them a, a helper, the Holy Spirit, to help them to overcome this issue in their lives. And that's not the first time that we see Paul doing this, telling them this. You see, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul says to them, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Then in Philippians, he tells them this in chapter 3, verse 13 to 14. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in, in Christ Jesus. I believe that God is calling all of us towards this process of sanctification in our lives, to be set apart from this world, so that when people look at us, they see something different. That what they see is Jesus working in us and through us in this world. I know the reality is for the Thessalonians, Paul is addressing sexual sin. He's calling them to stray away from it. And for some of us in this room, we can maybe identify with this. We may be feeling the nudge that, you know what we do? We struggle with this. And what we're doing is wrong. But also the reality is, is that for some of us, this isn't a sin that we struggle with. If that's the case, then the reality is that there is something in your life that you might be going through. Some sin that you might be struggling with. Maybe you're struggling with arrogance or anger, lack of patience, being prideful. The list can go on and on and on. Maybe there's something that in that that you're struggling with. But the principle of what Paul is talking about here applies to all these things that we struggle with. We're all people. And there's always going to be something in our lives that we need to get right before God, that we need to work on with God. And by God's spirit, we've been given the resources for victory. But our responsibility 
is to use those resources. He's given us the ability to come to him whenever we need to pray. As a church, we've been given each other. You've been given the staff here as a resource if you need to talk, to ask questions. We have each other. And we shouldn't neglect the presence that we can have in each other's lives. Talk to God. Come and talk to Pastor Paul or myself. Talk to somebody else within the church. Allow God to work through these situations that we face in our life. And maybe be, be open and allow God to use somebody else to help you through these situations, to bear with one another. I know in my life, God has really worked through other people to help guide me, to help me in, in a variety of situations. I remember in university, God used a staff member of the, one of the campus organizations, um, which was Campus for Christ then, but now we know it is power to change. And that staff member asked me some pointed questions on things that I had going on in my life. And God used that person to help me to navigate these things. God might be using somebody in your life to help get your attention. So be open, be available. See what God can do through somebody else to help you. As we move on to verses 9 to 10, they say, now God, now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For, for that indeed is what you're doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Paul continues on and he reminds the Thessalonians that they, they need to live a life that is increasing in love. He essentially tells them, that this goes without saying. That they've been taught this important lesson by God, who's placed it on their hearts. He encourages them that they are already showing this love to the people around them, but that they should be pursuing this love for people even more than that. I find that the correlation here is that the Thessalonians were in a, in a pursuit of a relationship with God which Paul says that he's pleased by the faith that they have. And this pursuit of God is manifesting itself in them loving others around them relentlessly. Paul is, is acknowledging that they're crushing it in this area. And I truly believe that when we love God and pursue him, that love will just flow out through us into every area of our lives. And you know what? The people around us will reap the benefits of this. I love what D.L. Moody great theologian and preacher says, says, if we've got the true love of God shed abroad in our hearts, we will show it in our lives. We will not have to go up and down the earth proclaiming it. We will show it in everything that we say or do. But you know what? Paul still says that there's work to do. Why would he say that if they're already loving one another? I really think that it's because there's always more that we could do in loving each other. There's times where our love isn't always consistent or persistent. And I think this was the same with those Christians in Thessalonica. And Paul's telling them that what they're doing is well, but there's always work that can still be done. And just like Paul, I'm sure that we can find ourselves in this position. I know for me it hits hard because it's easy for me to get up here and to say, you know what, we need to love each other better. 
But I know there are times in my life where I'm not always consistent or I'm not always persistent in showing my love. And I'm convicted that I have work to do. That I have to be more intentional with each of you, with others within our fellowship. Something that I know and practice just like what Paul is saying, but there's more that can be done. You might find yourself in that same boat. And I'd encourage you, actually I'd encourage us to work on this together. And really, we can and will see meaningful and lasting change take place within our lives and within our church when we can tap into this. Verses 11 and 12, as we move on, says, And to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands, as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Paul goes on to share the importance of living a life that has three components. Being quiet, minding your own business, and working hard. When he tells them that they should live a quiet life, the word that he uses here is the idea of restfulness. He's telling the Thessalonians that they're, they're to be less frantic. He's telling them, that, telling them this because a life of restfulness will allow them to take time and to give attention to listening to God. A frantic life leads to someone who's distracted from their own walk with God. I know for me, when I have a particularly busy week, and I have a ton of things that are going on, I'm less likely to have a regular quiet time or to spend time regularly praying. Because I'm fo- so focused on what I have to do instead of making sure that I'm working on and making time for my walk with God. He also tells them to mind their own business. I don't think he spends a great te- deal of time on this because it kind of goes without saying, Right? He's telling them that they need to focus on their own life and things going on with them and not to meddle in others' lives. Then he finishes off and he says they should recognize the dignity and honor of work. Paul was writing about another ancient Greek practice that was wrapped into the culture here of the people during this time. And it was this idea that the better a man was, the less he should work. Doesn't that sound crazy? But we know that that's not the case. Paul presenting this idea that they should work hard because that's what they're called to do. Colossians 3.23 is a great reminder written by Paul. He says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Work is God's plan for progress in society and the church. And we fall into lies when we expect things to always come easy, to get an easy ride through things, He ends this section with sharing that this is important so that those around them who are unbelievers are able to respect the way that they live. And you see, even then, people noticed whether somebody was different by how they observed people around them. And this case is no different. People will see their example and be curious as to why they're doing what they're doing. Why are they so different from the culture around them? And this difference opens up the channel for meaningful conversation about the work and role of Jesus in their lives. And I believe that for each one of us, it's the exact same 
when your coworker is slacking off and you're working hard, people around you will be wondering, why? Why are you doing that? And it's so easy to do what the world around you is doing. When we can buck the trends around us and do what Colossians 3.23 asks us to do, work hard as though we're working for the Lord, then not only are we honoring God, but we're opening up, opening up the opportunity for others around us to ask us the reasons why we're doing that. Why are we different? And if we've put our faith, hope, and trust in Jesus, we should be ready to give them a reason for this hope. As we close off this chapter, Paul finishes with clearing up some uncertainty that was brewing in the church in Thessalonians. In verses 13 to 18, it says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. You see, the church had with them a pagan understanding of death and what life after death looked like. And Paul educates them in knowing that they will be able to see their loved ones who were believers when Jesus came back. And Paul provides some descriptive aspects of what this looks like, some prophetic words of what's to come. And we can spend a whole sermon going over this, and we're not going to do that this morning. You might be like, yes. And again, this is, this is something that is for those of us who've placed our hope and trust in Jesus. And he, he describes this amazing reunion of those who've past and those who are still alive coming together and meeting the Lord together. This life after death is for what the passage says those who are in and through Jesus. Jesus must be a significant element in these folks' lives, in this person's lives. Well, the element that I want to leave you with here is what Paul finishes off the passage with. He tells them to encourage each other with these words. He doesn't tell them to take encouragement from, from one another to get, you know, the, the list of, you know, this is how you should be encouraging one another. But what he says is that they're to give encouragement to one another. They're to comfort each other with these words that, you know what, Jesus hasn't left us but is returning again. That's the encouragement that he provides them with, that he leaves them with. Hopeful words that we should be encouraging each other with. Hope is coming. Jesus is coming again. So I want to leave you with some words of encouragement. A quote from Billy Graham sums it up really well on, what, on Jesus coming again. It says, The second coming of Jesus will be so revolutionary that it will change every aspect of life on this planet. Christ will reign in righteousness. Disease will be arrested. Death will be modified. War will be abolished. Nature will be changed. Man will live as it was originally intended. He should live. And 
all this is because in and through Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for these reminders as we enter this new year, God. On things from your word that we ought to consider as we consider what our lives look like, as we take stock over our lives. Father, I pray that you would help us. Help us to to find areas, navigate areas in our lives where, God, we might not be measuring up to you or your standard. God, make those evident to us. Because, God, we could be easily blinded by, well, this is what we've always done. Well, this is what those around me do. But, God, allow us to be different. Allow us to want to be different, Lord, to, to want to conform to the standard of you and your son, Jesus. Lord, I pray that your spirit will help us with that. That it will convict us where we need convicting. That it will give us the reminders where we need reminders. Lord, and help where we desperately need help. And might we take this out into our lives, Lord. Let it not stop when, this, when we leave these doors. Lord, might our whole entire beginning of this year, Lord, the weeks to come, be seasoned with all these things. Father, we're, we're thankful. We ask you to help us with all these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information, check out our website at ecb.bm. Join us again next week for our next podcast.